The scripture reading this evening is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For who is our hope, or joy, or crown, or exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. It's good to see you this evening. Just a reminder, if you don't mind, take a few minutes, maybe this week, and think about answers to the questionnaire that's in the foyer. A number of you have already done that. Uh, I've gotten some emails even this afternoon from some of those that are watching online, on live stream. Thank you for that. If you don't have access to the questions, they're actually in the bulletin. I know that not everybody reads the bulletin, but they're there. Uh, The questions are in the section of the bulletin this week that says, From John's Desk. And so if you just want to look in that section, those are the four questions that I'd like for you to think about and respond to. And send me an email, and I'll be happy to just add your responses to the list. I'm compiling a list of what others are saying, and I'm going to look at that and prayerfully think about how to approach some lessons and what to be doing in the coming months. You know, part of the reason why I'm doing this is because COVID-19 has been kind of a, made this kind of a crazy year. And a lot of you, and especially a lot of you that are online on live stream, I, I haven't been able to talk to as much as I would have liked and would have done ordinarily in a, in a normal quote unquote year. And um, there are a lot of things going on in people's lives, a lot of questions people have, a lot of issues that people are dealing with. And I may not know, or the elders may not know anything about some of these matters. And so we want to be able to be helpful in preaching and proclaiming God's word. And we want to be able to be helpful in trying to help all of us to grow in our faith and to become more like Jesus Christ. And so that's the reason for this particular request. So you've got from now until two weeks from today, the box will be out there in the foyer. Just fill it out, fill out the form and, uh, and drop it in the box. Incidentally, if you want to, if you want to tell me why you'd like to learn from New Testament book X or Old Testament book Y, that might be helpful too. So I really want to learn about Obadiah from the Old Testament. Well, that's great. I'll put that on the list. But if you tell me why, that'll actually help us a little bit even more. So I know the questionnaire doesn't ask that, but if you'd like to include that, that would help. Thank you very much for your help in that particular matter. I appreciate it. Will we know one another in heaven? That's a fascinating question. I've heard from a lot of brethren growing up and at various places and various ways in my life that would answer the question by saying no. And here's their reasoning. The reasoning goes like this. Revelation 21 verse 4 and other passages in the New Testament that talk about eternal bliss describe heaven as a place where there is no sorrow where there are no tears, where there's no pain, where God wipes away every tear from our eyes. And the reasoning goes, how can I be happy in heaven? How can I be at peace and full of joy if I know that people that I love are not there? How could I be happy in heaven knowing and remembering some of the horrible things that were experienced In this world, how can I be happy in heaven knowing that others are lost? And so for those reasons, and maybe some others, 
Sincere brethren have in many places come to the conclusion that when we get to heaven, we're not going to know, we're not going to recognize one another. Maybe our memories will be wiped or they'll, they'll be erased. Maybe we'll lose our sense of identity, whatever. I'd like for us to just explore this question biblically for a few moments tonight. There's no better topic that we could talk about than heaven. Because our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3 verse 20. There's no better topic that we could talk about than heaven because that's the destiny, that's the goal to which we're all trying to reach. If that's true, then let's just spend a few moments thinking about the question, will we know one another in heaven? In the first place, I'd just by way of introduction like to talk about what heaven's going to be like and why we ought to long for heaven. Why should it be something that we think about? You know, there are tons of songs in our songbook that deal with the subject of heaven. No tears in heaven comes to mind. No sorrows given. All will be glory in that land. Or how about this? A song that says... How beautiful heaven must be. Or the song God's Family that says sometimes we dream together about how it will be when we all get to heaven. I believe that New Testament Christians ought to spend time studying and thinking about and reflecting on and longing for our eternal home. Reason number one is because that is, as I've already said, where our citizenship is located. Philippians 3 verse 20, Paul writes this, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, heaven is something that appeals to us because that's where our savior is. Again, same passage. From heaven we await our Savior. Where is Jesus? In Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11, the Bible says he ascended. And the apostles stood there looking up into the clouds. And the angels that were present on that occasion said, Why do you stand looking up into the clouds? This Jesus has gone into heaven. And one day he will come from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. That's where our Savior is. But when we think about heaven, it gets even better because think about this. The Bible teaches that that's where our heavenly Father is. Matthew 6, verse 9. How are we to pray? We talked about this morning. Pray then like this. Our Father, and he has a location. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. He is our heavenly Father. So Christ, God the Father, our citizenship are located there. But wait, there's more. When we think about longing for heaven, the Bible says that our names, your name, my name, can be written there. If you're not a Christian tonight, you ought to think about this. Where is my name written? The Bible says, in fact, Jesus himself said, rejoice when your names are written in heaven. God has what is known as the book of life. We read about it in Revelation chapter 20. And the Bible teaches that on the day of judgment, the book of life will be one of the books that, that is opened. And my name can be written in the book of life and so can yours because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Because of the redemption and the grace that's found in him, we can know God and we can know that our names are written there. Is your name written in heaven? Not only that, heaven holds all to us because our treasure is to be stored there. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus warned us not to spend all our time laying up treasures on earth. You got to work really hard to take care of those treasures. They decay, they rust, 
Jesus says, make sure you, Christian, are storing up treasure in heaven where no moth or dust corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. I can store treasure there. Jesus goes on to say that our great reward is located there. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He talks about the concept of reward. You know, on Wednesday nights, if you haven't been attending our Bible study, Jordan is doing a fantastic job of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm always taken aback by how often in that sermon, Jesus mentions reward. Be faithful, be my disciple, and there is a reward associated with that. Great is your reward in heaven. Incidentally, some have asked where Jordan is. Jordan is preaching a gospel meeting this week in West Virginia. He just started today. He'll be preaching that meeting through Thursday. Keep Jordan and Aaron and their family in your prayers while they travel. They're doing a fantastic work, I know, and I know that they'd appreciate you praying for them as well. Our great reward is located in heaven. Our inheritance is there. We have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And just like we take precious treasures today and we put them in a safe deposit box at the bank and we keep them there because that's the most secure place that maybe we can find, our reward, our inheritance is reserved. It's kept in a precious place in heaven where no one can molest or destroy or steal or ruin that which God has prepared for us. Our inheritance is there. Will we know one another in heaven? It's a question worth pondering. Our minds and our affections are supposed to be there. In Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, talking to Christians... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds that are on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Spend your time thinking about the things above. Will we know one another? It's a question worth pondering. And what I'd like for us to do with our study this evening is just two things. I'd like for us, first of all, to look at some Bible indications, Scripture indications, because I believe the answer to the question, will we know one another in heaven, is yes, absolutely, without a doubt. And I'll show you some passages that indicate that. But secondly, I'd like for us to reflect on what's going to be different about heaven, because that's what really starts to puzzle people. There are some things that are different about the way heaven works and about what exists and doesn't exist there, and that's worthy of our reflection as well. So maybe if you've got a piece of paper, you might just jot down some of these scriptures. I'm putting them on the screen for you tonight because there's an awful lot of them, and I don't want everybody to have to spend all their time flipping back and forth, back and forth. But jot these passages down because they are worthy of your study. Will we know one another in heaven? Indications from scripture. Scripture passage number one, I believe we'll know one another in heaven. And one of the reasons why is because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, as Paul was writing to his beloved brethren in Corinth, he said, You partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. You know, Paul often uses language like this, and we're going to look at other passages that say the same kind of thing here. 
But what Paul was looking for is the joy that was going to come when everybody saw one another when Jesus returns. That's what he was looking for. And he was working in the kingdom of God and he was preaching the gospel and he was teaching people and he was trying to help people go to heaven one day. And and when Paul would write letters to his brethren, very frequently he'd say things like this. And what he's getting at is this. Don't miss the point. He's saying that when Jesus returns, even if I precede you in death or you precede me in death, or even if geography separates us and we never see each other in this world again, we on the day of the Lord Jesus can see each other and we can rejoice. That word boast that you read on the screen there is the same Greek word that we sometimes translate rejoice. We can rejoice. I'm glad to see you as we will boast of you. You can be glad to see me on the day of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about the return of Christ. Here's another passage, indication from Scripture. Steve read this a moment ago. Same concept. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? And think about this. You could repent of your sins and be baptized and you could be saved. And maybe the Lord returns tonight or maybe you don't live another day and you don't bear much fruit as a Christian. You are going to be full of joy. There's going to be full joy in the presence of God. However, if you're privileged by God to live a little while and you're able to bear some fruit and you're able to help some souls and save some souls and you're able to do those things, Paul is saying... When the Lord comes, what's my boasting? What's my joy? What's my crown of rejoicing? Is it not you, church at Thessalonica? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul loved people. And more than anything else, he wanted to help people go to heaven. And he longed to see them when the Lord returns. That's what these passages are indicating. Another passage. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 17 and 18, the Thessalonians were struggling because they were thinking, well, our brethren in Christ who die, they're missing out. I mean, what happens to them when the Lord returns? If Jesus is coming back, haven't they missed all the, all, all the good things? Paul writes about the second coming of Christ, and he says, those of us who are alive when the Lord returns, we will be caught up together with those who are dead They're going to rise out of their graves first. We're going to rise and be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says this in verse 18. Watch this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What do those verses mean if they don't mean that we're going to see one another, we're going to be together in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever? Comfort one another with those words. Our loved ones who have passed on, who were in a right relationship with God, there still remains hope for them. It's secure. It's reserved. Another indication from Scripture. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, John sees, by inspiration, a vision of martyrs under the throne. 
God is on the throne, and the Bible says when Jesus opens the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out, these martyrs did with a loud voice. Now listen, martyr by definition is somebody who has died for their faith, somebody who believed so deeply and so fervently and clung to their convictions so strongly that someone put them to death. And now John sees them under the throne and listen to what they're saying. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now what that tells me is a couple of things. Number one, these people who had died for their faith remembered the injustice that had been perpetrated upon them. They remembered that somebody had put them to death unjustly. Secondly, they remembered or somehow knew that God had still not fully dealt with those that were wrongdoers, evildoers. I don't know a great deal more specific than that, but I do know they remembered what had happened to them, they remembered who they were, and they knew that God was going to make this right. And their only question was, not God, are you going to make it right, but God, how long until you make this right? Will we know one another in heaven? These people, these passages indicate, yes, there's memory there's identity. Those things stay with us when we leave this world. In Luke 16, verse 25, the rich man and Lazarus, both these men die. And Lazarus is in the bosom at the side of Abraham, the Bible teaches. And the rich man goes to a place of torment and he looks across a great gulf and he begins to converse with Abraham. And Abraham says to him, son, child, remember. He's asking this dead man to remember what his life was like remember that in your lifetime you received good things but Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish will we know one another in heaven the story of the rich man and Lazarus indicates that both Lazarus and the rich man and incidentally Abraham they all remembered who they were. They all remembered what they had done in life. And even the rich man goes on to ask on behalf of his brothers who he remembers in this world. Let me go or send Lazarus to those, those brothers so that they won't come to this terrible place. Someone has well said that those who are dead have become the most evangelistic souls around. They know the eternal stakes that face every single one of us every day. They know what lies in store beyond this life. And they care about you. And they care about me. And they don't want us to make the wrong decision. They don't want us to leave this world without knowing who God is and what it means to be faithful to Him. Indications from Scripture. Will we know one another in heaven? In Genesis 25, verse 8, the Bible says, Abraham, that great man of faith, when he breathed his last, he died in a good old age, an old man of full of years. And then this expression. The Bible doesn't just give us these expressions for filler. They're there for a reason. Abraham was gathered to his people. What people? If we all lose our identity, if we all lose our memory, if we, don't, if we don't remember what we did in this life and all of that's gone away, how can it be said that Abraham was gathered to his people? In what sense is that true? Continuing, Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus said this, 
I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I haven't done that yet. I haven't reclined with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom yet. Have you? But what's indicated here is that there will be a time when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when their presence is available. How so? Because Jesus says, those who come from the east and west, they'll know who Abraham is. They'll know who Isaac is. They'll know who Jacob is. And whatever background we come from, Jew or Gentile, it's what Jesus is indicating here, we can have fellowship. We can have company with one another. Continuing, Matthew 17, verses 2 and 3, at the transfiguration of Jesus, Jesus went up on a high mountain and his appearance changed, his clothes became white and glowing, and the Bible says that while he was standing there, Moses and Elijah appeared as well. Question, how did they know that that was Moses and Elijah if they lost their identity when they left this life? How does that work? Will we know one another in heaven? How does it work? They still knew who Moses was, Jesus did, and the apostles learned. They knew who Elijah was. And Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah about the death that he was going to suffer, according to Luke's account. There was memory on part of both men. All of those passages taken together give us some very, very comforting indications when we leave this life, we're not going to forget who we are. We're not going to forget what we did. We're not going to forget how much God has meant to us and how much he loves us and the specific ways in which his grace has been made available in our lives. In fact, my opinion, one of the things about eternity that is so fascinating is the idea that we can talk with one another possibly and maybe connect the dots about how God has been working and doing a number of things in our lives and we're going to understand better and we're going to know more fully and we're going to be able to rejoice even more in who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do in that great glory land. But before we continue or close this lesson, I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about this question. What's different about heaven? Because this, as I've said, is where a lot of the puzzles come from. So what's different about heaven? A couple of things. In fact, four specifically I'd like to bring to your attention tonight. Four items that are different about our existence in heaven from where we are right now. Number one, in heaven we'll have a different body. A different body. One that doesn't get sick, one that doesn't get old. Here's how Paul described it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44, he said, with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. That is, when we take a body and we bury it in the ground, what is sown, that's what he's talking about, it's perishable. It's going to decay. But what is raised, what comes out of the grave when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? What is raised is imperishable. It's a different kind of body. It's sown in dishonor, 
but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so Paul is trying to explain to us as best he can, using the best kind of terminology he can, he's inspired by God, he's trying to explain to us what that body's going to be like. And here's what I know, it's going to be better than this one. This one gets hurt, this one gets old, this one gets sick, this one is going to die. That one doesn't do any of those things. It's a glorious body. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Talking to you, Christians. And he says, what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we're not sure exactly the specifics about all this. But we know this, that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. What's John saying there in 1 John 3 verse 2? He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the transformation of the living. He's talking about that different existence. And there's something different about the body with which we rise and go and to be with the Lord. Second difference as you think about the differences between here and there. Marriage will no longer exist. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus knows all about heaven because that's where he's been from eternity past. For only a brief period, he came to this world to show us the way. And then after his resurrection, he ascended and returned home. And here is what he says about marriage. Listen, Matthew 22, verses 29 and 30. You are wrong, Sadducees. Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, people neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. What does he mean they're like angels in heaven? He's saying angels don't get married. And therefore, in being like them, we're not going to either. That's troubling for people, I understand. I believe this. I believe Jesus knows what heaven's going to be like. I believe that he's telling us the truth here. I also believe that if we do remember one another in heaven, and the scriptures seem to indicate that that's absolutely the case, we remember the way that we worked together and loved each other, I do, remember, I do believe there's going to be a knowledge and an appreciation of how we helped one another to glorify God in our marriages. But that relationship per se is not part of the heavenly existence. What else is different about heaven? The Bible indicates that in heaven there are no tears, that there's no sorrow, that there's no sadness. There's an awful lot in this world, but not in that one. That's what the Bible says. Revelation 21 verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. What's more of an occasion for tears than death? Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The Bible tells us that there are no tears in heaven. God has made that promise to you and he's made that promise to me. And I understand the question that asks, well, how can, I, how can I rejoice 
How can I be glad? How can I have no tears if someone that was very dear to me I know is lost and I know they're suffering? How can that be? How can those two things both be true? And the only answer I can give you is this, biblically. By faith, we can believe that the promises of God are true. God has been right about everything else he has ever said. He's been right about all of it. And when he tells us that we're going to a place where there are no tears and there's no sorrow and there's no mourning, I don't understand all of it either. But by faith, I believe that God means what he says, don't you? And don't you believe that he is so mighty and so powerful that he can cause that to happen? I've heard people try to explain it and they say, well, maybe we'll understand God's justice better and maybe we'll understand his holiness better and maybe we'll just be so overwhelmed by the greatness and glory of who God is and seeing him and praising him. Maybe all that's true. I don't know, but I know that I believe what the Bible teaches and I know that the Bible teaches that Paul said that he's going to rejoice on the day of judgment and beyond when he sees people that he's loved and worked with and cared about and taught the gospel to and he wants to spend eternity with them just as much as he wants to spend eternity with his God. And the idea that we're going to forget each other and the idea that we're not going to remember what we went through in this world, that's just not a biblical idea. It's just not found in Scripture. Heaven's going to be a place of no tears, no sorrow, no sadness. And God has made that promise. Number four, what's different? We're going to see God face to face. If you don't hear anything else I've said about heaven tonight, remember this. The best, and it's not even close, the best thing about heaven is that we're going to see God. And we're going to get to be in his presence We've sung songs tonight about drawing deeper and closer to God, and I appreciate the fact that people have written songs like that, and I appreciate the fact that we can talk about and we can long for the presence of God, and we can sing about those things, but I'll tell you this, I believe that when you see God face to face, it's going to take you an eternity to try to describe how happy and joyful and glad you are. How glorious and holy and mighty and majestic he is. It's going to take eternity to sing the song that adequately describes who he is and what he's like. Listen to Revelation 21 verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The best thing about heaven, and it's not even close, is the fact that God is there. And that we can see him face to face. You've never seen anyone like that face to face. You can go to the mountains and you can look at the creation. You can go to a, a delivery unit at a hospital and see the joy on the faces of new parents. You can see amazing things and occasions for joy. There's no joy like seeing God face to face. There's just not in Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist writes this. You make known to me, talking to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, watch this, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's joy without end. Fullness of joy. 
I don't know that I've ever experienced that in the way that he's talking about. Have you? You will in heaven. And so we've got lines in our songbook that I love and appreciate. One of my very favorite songs is How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. And here's my very favorite verse in that song. In heaven, no drooping or pining. No wishing for elsewhere to be. You know, sometimes, even though I'm having a good time, sometimes I get tired and I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to be somewhere else. No matter how good things are in this world, sometimes I'm ready to move on. But not so in heaven. No wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. Or, you don't like that one? How about this? Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. You've been suffering, you've been hurting this year. You've been hurting in years past. Those words are 100% true. Just one glimpse of him in glory will all the toils of life repay. By the way, that's biblical. Romans 8, verse 18. I reckon, I consider, that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's nothing like heaven. Will we know one another there? Absolutely. And we'll know each other maybe even better than we do in this life because we'll be able to talk and visit and praise our God together for an eternity. How we need to long more for heaven. You know, you think about these things and it puts a lot in perspective, doesn't it? A lot of the little petty things that are going on around us and a lot of the things that bother us and cause us angst, a lot of those things really, they don't make a hill of beans difference when you stop and think about the fact that this world is not my home and I'm just here for a little while. And I'm going to be somewhere in the presence of my God forever. And that's something worth looking forward to. And that's a lesson worth taking with us every day that we live from now on. If you're not a Christian, you're not ready for heaven. Can we help you with that? Believe in Jesus Christ. Be baptized for the remission of your sins, having repented and confessed his name. If you need to make that decision this evening, or if you'd like to respond and you want to ask for prayers, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?